Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Gibson Energy's second quarter 2021 conference call. Please be advised that this call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Mark Hitzchest, Vice President, Strategy, Planning, and Investor Relations. Mr. Hitzchest, please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on this conference call, discussing our second quarter 2021 operational and financial results. On the call this morning from Gibson Energy are Steve Spaulding, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Sean Brown, Chief Financial Officer. Listeners are reminded that today's call refers to non-GAAP measures and forward-looking information. Descriptions and qualifications of such measures and information are set out in our continuous disclosure documents available on CDAR. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Steve. Thanks, Mark. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm pleased to say we delivered another strong quarter, both operationally and financially. As important, we made a lot of progress on the commercial front in 2021, and we've continued to integrate ESG and sustainability as part of our business strategy. Looking briefly at our financial results, infrastructure adjusted EBITDA of $118 million was right around our $100 million target after normalizing some items that Sean will speak to. On the marketing side, adjusted EBITDA of $19 million was slightly higher than we expected. Importantly, our payout ratio of 73% remains near the bottom of our target range of 70 to 80%. Leverage of 3.2 times is within are three to 3.5 times target range. On the balance sheet, remains very strong, including being fully funded for all capital. On the operational front, we recently completed the construction of the DRU on schedule and as important within our initial capital range. I want to thank the entire team for all their efforts over the past year and a half. They did an excellent job throughout the construction progress, despite the challenges brought on by COVID. And our plan is to keep our project team very busy. Many of you have noticed a meaningful improvement in our commercial outlook as we move throughout the year. In terms of recovering from COVID, I would say we're there from a commercial perspective. We continue to expect to deploy $200 million in growth capital this year, and with almost all of it currently fully sanctioned. And we would expect to be at or above our $150 to $200 million range in the next few years. We recently performed a review of our projects over the last few years, representing approximately a billion dollars in capital. And we're very much in line with that five to seven times EBITDA build multiple range on actual capital and current cash flows. We expect our future capital projects 
to remain within this range, which means we will continue to generate very attractive risk-adjusted returns for our shareholders. So in terms of keeping that project team very busy, at the end of March, we announced a long-term terminal service agreement with Suncor, our principal customer at our Edmonton terminal. As part of the agreement, we announced the sanction of a biofuels blending project. This project is ESG positive, and as it aligns with energy transition, which is an increasing number of our opportunities we're seeing. And I really like the 25-year term. We expect the project to enter service mid next year. On the tankage front, we are very pleased to announce the sanction of a new tank at Edmonton. With this tank, we welcome a new investment-grade energy customer to our Edmonton terminal. We continue to be in discussions with other TMX shippers and continue to move discussions forward. We believe Gibson is very well positioned to support shippers on TMX, optimize producer netbacks to meet stream requirements, and to optimize our customers' crews between Edmonton and Hardesty without having to physically move that barrel. At Hardesty, we continue to progress talks with numerous customers with storage needs and continue to have interest with multiple producers and multiple refiners on the DRU. Given Drewbit is a new product, customers would like to see how the market develops. We've continued to see this as a complicated set of agreements, and our timeline for a second customer remains late this year or early 2022. Shifting to ESG, we were very pleased that our efforts continue to be recognized over the past few months. As part of their annual review, MSCI recently upgraded our rating to AA. This is the highest rating of any of our direct peers and represents the top 15% performance within a broader global industry peer group. We're also completed our mid-year update of Sustainalytics, where our ESG risk rating moved into the low category. We are now ranked fourth out of 199 companies in refiners and pipeline industry and have the highest score among our Canadian peers. We also added both the S&P TSX Composite ESG Index and the Sustainalytics JASTIS Social Index. Our goal remains to be an ESG leader relative to our peers. Yet, we remain humble, knowing that ESG is a journey, and we need to continue to make progress every quarter. Earlier this year, we took a major step forward by setting ESG and sustainability targets. Shortly after, we became the first public energy company in North America to transition our principal credit facility to a sustainability-linked structure. By integrating our credit facility and capital structure, with our ESG targets. This demonstrates a clear commitment to achieving these targets. Through the balance of the year, our focus will be to work towards the ESG targets we set. Also, we continue to improve our disclosure. We recently made our second annual submission to CDP. 
and we expect to publish our first TCFD aligned report later this year. Again, we feel we had another strong quarter. We delivered financial results slightly above our expectations, and we remain very well positioned going forward. Our infrastructure business remains solid. We are excited to have completed the construction phase of the DRU. We are in the startup phase right now and continue to expect to place in service sometime in the third quarter. We feel very comfortable in our ability to deploy $150 to $200 million per year without sacrificing returns. And we are pleased to once again be sanctioning projects in 2021 after a very quiet 2020. Marketing conditions are improving. Though our business does not rely on it, our balance sheet is very strong and we are fully funded and our dividend remains very well underpinned by our stable long-term infrastructure cash flows. I will now pass the call over to Sean who will walk through our financial results in more detail. Sean. Thanks, Steve. As Steve mentioned, another solid quarter from a financial perspective. Infrastructure adjusted EBITDA of $118 million was in line with our $100 million run rate outlook after normalizing for a payment received for the present value of the remaining term on a rail loading contract in the current quarter. This was a case of the customer exiting the marketing and logistics space rather than a change in their strategy or market outlook. As a result, we expect the decrease in our rail loading revenues will largely offset the partial contribution from the DRU in the third quarter. However, this could actually end up as an opportunity where we subsequently lease out the capacity and perhaps end up net-net being better off. Marketing adjusted EBITDA of $19 million was slightly above our outlook due to some strength we saw at Moose Jaw right at the end of the quarter. Aside from that, the quarter materialized very much as we expected. Where there was certainly an improvement in the environment relative to the last few quarters, in that context, opportunities on the crude marketing side were still limited relative to what we saw pre-COVID, though our strategy to build inventories at Moose Jaw paid off. In terms of our outlook for marketing, we would expect Q3 to come in fairly close to Q2 or between 15 and $20 million in adjusted EBITDA. Well, that could put us at the low end of what is implied by our annual 80 to $120 million long-term run rate, I think we would stop short of saying that we've returned to a normalized marketing environment. We typically see reduced asphalt demand at Moose Jaw in the winter quarters, and we'd like to still see stronger demand for drilling fluids, which is improving as well as more opportunities on the crude oil marketing side of the business before calling the market normalized. In that context, we could certainly see a couple of events in the next five months that get us above $80 million for 2021, but we don't have line of sight to those at this time. And that's fine, as we don't rely on marketing to deliver our strategy. Finishing up the discussion of the results, let me quickly work down to distributable cash flow. Interest costs were $13 million, relative to $15 million in the second quarter of 2020. Refinancing our debt over the past 18 months has been a major focus. In total, reducing our run rate interest costs by nearly $25 million per year and leaving Gibson with, by far, the lowest weighted average coupon within our Canadian mid-sized peer group at just over 3% or 
while at the same time having the second longest weighted average tenor. Replacement capital of $4 million in 2021 was below the $8 million in the second quarter of 2020, in part because we did not perform a turnaround at Moose Jaw this year. For the full year, we'd expect to be approaching $30 million given the desire to perform some work that was deferred last year due to the onset of COVID. Taxes of $7 million this quarter were $5 million less than the second quarter of 2020, largely due to lower marketing earnings. Also, lease payments were slightly lower in the current quarter relative to the second quarter of last year, as we continue to actively reduce the number of leased rail cars in our marketing segment. And on a trailing 12 month basis, despite rolling off a very strong marketing contribution in the second quarter of 2020, due to additional infrastructure being placed in service, the benefits of the one-time payment and improvements in our cross structure between adjusted EBITDA and distributable cash flow, our payout ratio remained relatively flat at 73%, which is still at the bottom end of our 70 to 80% target range. Similarly, our debt-to-adjusted EBITDA also remained relatively flat to the second quarter at 3.2 times, which remains within our three to three and a half times target. Speaking to our financial position, we continue to maintain a fully funded position for all our capital with ample cushion for additional projects and will remain proactive in having significant available committed liquidity. At the end of the quarter, we are $140 million drawn on our $750 million credit facility with $58 million of cash on the balance sheet. We also have $115 million of unutilized capacity on our $150 million bilateral demand facilities, implying over three quarters of a billion dollars in available liquidity relative to a $200 million capital program. In that sense, very much years of running room. And in terms of being proactive, during the quarter, we again extended our credit facility to a full five-year term, now maturing in April, 2026. We are particularly proud to have been the first energy company, not only in Canada, but across all of North America to move our principal credit facility to sustainability linked terms. From a finance perspective, this will in no way limit our access to capital, though we very much like that our interest rate will move up or down with our performance on the ESG linked metrics. In summary, a solid quarter. Results from the infrastructure segment were in line with our forecast on a normalized basis, and as expected, the environment continued to improve for our marketing segment. From a financial perspective, we remain in a very strong position, being within both our leverage and payout target ranges, remaining fully funded with ample cushion and with significant available liquidity. And as Steve spoke to, the big shift so far this year has been the return to sanctioning new capital at our target five to seven times EBITDA build multiple. This underpins our view that our business continues to offer a strong total return proposition to investors with visibility to continued growth in our high quality infrastructure cash flows and an attractive growing dividend, all while maintaining a very strong balance sheet and financial position. At this point, I will turn the call over to the operator to open it up for questions. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We wanna make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Okay, your first question comes from Jeremy Tonet from JP Morgan. Jeremy, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Morning, um, Jeremy. Morning. I just want to start off with the rail uh, contract here, the, the prepayment. I was just wondering if you might be able to provide a bit more color on what was happening there and just overall, I guess, um, you know, demand for that service, how, how you think about the uh, ability to backfill in this environment. It seems like um, differentials have somewhat widened out a bit. So just kind of curious for your thoughts on that. Hey, Sean, why don't you take the first part of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, so as I said in the prepared remarks, the payment was received for the present value, the remaining term we had on that. Um, you know, the term was through to the end of next year. Uh, so, you know, from this perspective, it was really, you know, somewhat of a unique situation where it was a case of a customer that was looking to exit the space rather than a change in their strategy of their market outlook. And, you know, given the term was relatively short, we thought it made sense uh, to actually uh, allow them to exit. It was actually a taper, take or pay contract. Um, so the optionality wasn't actually there. Uh, as we noted in our disclosed remarks, you know, discount rate, or we would have viewed the discount rate as being relatively low. Um, and so the upfront payment we thought made sense. Um, so uh, I'm not sure if you want more details than that from a financial perspective, and then Steve can provide uh, the back half. Yeah, and then, and then Jerry, as far as Jeremy, as far as demand, um, you know, one of the great things about the DRU is is it really does create that ten-year, you know, contract for for the for the Hurt facility. And then you know we we continue to load out trains and have continued to add trains uh, from the facility. So uh, the demand's still there, maybe not as great as great as it was at the peak, but there's definitely still a demand there. That's helpful. Thanks. Then maybe pivot into the DRU here. Uh, you know, granted, it seems like it's a, a complex process to sign up new customers there. But just wondering if you might be able to provide a bit more color with, I guess, uh, the type of you know conversations you're you're having out there, and they can take you know I think dozens of agreements. I think you set them past and take some time. So just wondering, I guess, as as you uh, you know look out to these uh, potential agreements, if you could. Give us more color on, you know, where those stand. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, our our, our number one prospect there is, um, you know, they're wanting to see how how this how the how the drew bit and how the DRU work, right? So once you know, once we fully place it in service, how is and that and that product starts to land down on the U.S. Gulf Coast, what is the value? Uh, you know, to to that customer, um, and you know, and how smoothly does all of the transactions work? So really, that's really one of the things. That, that's one of the 
hurdles we need to get over is uh, is getting in getting place fully in service, uh, getting the product start to land on the U.S. Gulf Coast, letting people see and run those products in their in their that crude in their refinery. Um, so you know that we're still you know we're still in the startup mode. So that's probably our number one, and then the others you know a you know big uh, re- big a big refiner. Uh, that we're continuing to have discussions with. So. Got it. That's uh, that's helpful there. And then maybe just the last one, if I could hear um, a similar type of question with regards to tankage. Uh, you know, hearing what you're saying as far as commercial discussions, really kind of kicking off in earnest earlier this year after kind of the, the COVID pause, and just wondering, um, you know, what you could talk about for uh you know new interest in new um you know terminals at this point tankage at this point especially i guess with you know tmx moving forward as well yeah, and i would you know um i would say you know our, our major focus um you know currently in growing tankage in canada is is around that edmonton terminal and supporting the tmx the new the tmx shippers so those talks continue just as you know we last quarter um, and continue to progress and, you know and we do believe that we'll be successful in, in, in adding additional tankage got it I'll leave it there thank you very much your next question comes from Linda Ezergelius from TD Securities Linda please go ahead uh, thank you um, just following up on your Edmonton uh, tankage um, can you comment on uh, if you factored in any sort of inflationary pressures and how those costs might have compared uh, with some of your historical tank builds? Yeah, I mean, steel is definitely higher, Linda. Um, but, you know, that we definitely took that into effect, uh, you know, when we were negotiating rates. Um, and it's, it's no different than any time you're negotiating contracts. Um, it's really, you know, what what does it cost to build the the asset, and what does it cost your your competitors to build the asset? Um, and um, and then it's a, you know we have the minimal rate of returns and thresholds that we need to get across, which is that five to seven times. Uh, so it's really quite normal. Uh, the big inflation that we have seen is really. You know, when it comes to tanks, it's steel. So that's mostly all it is, is steel. So, and that has Thank risen. Thank you. And as a follow-up, I'm wondering how much existing common infrastructure you're able to leverage or if you need to build out any of that uh, as we think of sort of any sort of brownfield synergies or advantages. Yeah, I mean, um, we definitely have some infrastructure that we're building in this first tank. Um and uh, and then additional tanks have some additional infrastructure that we want to get built. But uh, the first tank definitely used a lot of common infrastructure um, that we have today. Uh, we're building it within an existing berm. Uh, it's really just really set up to build the tank, right? But we are building infrastructure with this project. 
Thank you. And just as another follow-up question on inflationary pressures being seen in the, in the industry, can you comment on your operating expenses and maybe um, if you're starting to see uh, more labor costs and, and with reopening, maybe some of the cost savings with remote work uh, dissipating a little bit and any sort of other uh, productivity initiatives, uh, whether it be leveraging IT or other learnings from the pandemic, net-net, how can we think, I guess, of your operating expenses uh, trending prospectively? You know, I haven't seen inflation really start to hit us, but we're just now entering into the budget process. So um, that we'll know more about how that kind of going forward. We haven't really seen an inflational impact to our OPEX currently. Um, and definitely, you know, our our GNA is still down, you know, because travel is still significantly down. I don't know, Sean, would you, can you comment? Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd say inflationary, we really haven't seen a lot. And as you noted, Steve, GNA has been down. Uh, if you look at our OPEX specifically, probably the only thing that has tweaked a bit higher in the past few months has been power costs for us. But again, that's not a material amount in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, normal inflationary pressure, we, we actually really haven't seen it yet. But as Steve noted, we're right in the teeth of uh, budgeting right now. Okay, thank you. And just uh, on, a, on a separate topic, um, interesting that MSC upgraded um, your rating recently. You've made um, a lot of progress in the past year on the ESG front uh, with uh, further initiatives uh, pending. I'm wondering if you can uh, provide some context as to uh, how that might be translating into both your equity shareholder and debt holder mix potentially shifting. Uh, are you seeing new investors coming in or are there uh, more discussions with prospective new investors? Uh, any context you can provide on that front would be appreciated. Yeah, Sean, why don't you take that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, as you note, Linda, we continue to make a lot of progress uh, on the ESG side in general, you know, be it, uh, you know, our sustainability reports, CDP submissions, you know, recognition through third-party providers, sustainability link loan. As I think of our shareholders, um, you know, I think it, generally it has been very well received, uh, certainly from the generalist community. Uh, you know, everybody uh, likes what we're doing. They like the progress that we're seeing and that we continue to see. And, I mean, the journey is not over right now. From a pure play ESG fund, uh, we're not necessarily seeing – you know, a ton of incremental meetings per se from that, but I think, you know, thematically just things are are positive from that front, but, you know, I wouldn't say we're seeing a ton of pure ESG demand specifically, but I would say, you know, definitely from generalists or people that are somewhat a bit more focused on it, we are seeing positive momentum. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question comes from Rob Hope from Scotiabank. Rob, please go ahead. Morning, everyone. Uh, two questions on the DRU. Um, you know, just the first one and how it relates to the Hardesty Rail facility. So you're, you're going to have a little bit of open capacity in 22 and beyond there. You know, how do you think about that existing capacity and how your other contracts roll off in the context of a, a DRU expansion? Like, are you are you willing to take some open and potentially mesh that in with a uh, with an expanded DRU, or would you look to optimize the rail capabilities? if you are able to uh, expand the DRU? Well, I mean, um, when we talk about expanding the DRU, uh, we talk about the potential to expand the DRU to 250,000 barrels a day. Um, that's, that's 
and what and why we say 250,000 barrels a day is that's kind of the capacity of loading out this drew bit on on the rail on on the rail facility that USDG and us you know uh, utilize. So um, I would say you know we would always uh, we'd always lean to uh, a a DRU customer over a you know a, a normal rail customer. That's just high grading your uh, your cash flow. Um, you know it is. I mean, if rail really comes back, we can certainly continue to expand the rail facility. But you know, right now we're looking to you know build DRUs and fill it and fill it with the DRU, and then we can link that ten year contract on that rail terminal to the DRU. All right, appreciate that. And then you know, just a kind of a a question just on how the market gains information on the DRU. So, you know, you, you mentioned that you, the customer you're in discussions with right now is looking to see how this all works and kind of the how it works through everyone's systems. But, you know, isn't your existing customer incented not to share that knowledge? Or and how do you how do you kind of educate the market on the value of the of the Drew barrel? Well, it's 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 the U.S. refiners, right? Uh, you know, right now they get they get a, a the running you know the running deal bit which is 35 to 40 percent condensate and then a really heavy neat bitumen so and there's very little in between so in states if you're blending that we would call that a dumbbell crew and so a refiner doesn't they want a full they want a full uh, carbon chain all the way across even carbon chain all the way across so the neat bitumen or drew bit gives them an advantage, the refiner, where they can actually blend it to maximize their refinery throughput. And so one of that, you know, the U.S., as you all know, continues, its, it's crude oil production continues to get lighter and lighter and lighter. You know, even with the ad, they've even created new crude spec out of West Texas, West Texas light, which is, we would call condensate up here because it's 52 gravity crude. So, you know, once once this neat bitumen gets in the market, we believe, and you know, talking to refiners, there's a there's a there's an uplift in value over a dill bit. That's a really a kind of, you know, several dollar uplift in value over over a dill bit. So, we want to, and we need these customers to run it through their their refineries and see how they like it, and see how they blend. It. So. Uh, that's really one of the main main things we're looking to see. And I appreciate the color. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. Robert, please go ahead. Great. Good morning. Um, maybe I'll just start with the, the new Edmonton tank. And you talked about it being a competitive process. What do you think uh, put your offer to the customer over the top. You know, I would it was probably I would it's our connectivity on this one customer, uh, Robert. Um, that was that was one of the things. And then I think just you know the the relationship that our commercial people uh, developed, you know, with that customer uh, and the trust that they had that that we would be able to fulfill all their 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 operational needs. When you talked about connectivity, were you talking about 
the inbound or the ability to put it out this to the west probably, as well to the east? This is probably an inbound. Um, okay. So, um, do you, as you're talking with, you know, other customers around that tankage, do you see that continue? Do you see that as being unique to this particular customer, or um, you know, do you see that something that you can leverage into additional contracts? It's mostly unique for that exist that that customer. Um, when um, when I think about you know what how we can be competitive, I think you know the the customers that we're talking to now are are customers or customers that we have at Hardesty um, that they know what type of service we can deliver, they know how, and they trust that we can do you know the service that they want and um, and you know, I think we we have a competitive price. So, got it. Um, if I can just go back to the nature of some of the discussions you're having on uh, additional contracts at the DRU, at least as it relates to that first customer, have you basically or at least largely agreed to terms? And it's really just at this point that customer waiting for the clarity of of how this all works before putting pen to paper, um, or is there kind of more that has to be done on the commercial side as well? Yeah, I would I would put it more in, we've kind of agreed to all the terms. Um, now they need to make a decision whether or not they want to, you know, to take, take that space or not. So yes, I would say it's pretty almost pins down and really do they want it? That's okay. kind of where we're at. And whether it's this customer or the second or just others you're speaking with, is the scope really confined to a DRU expansion or or would you or should we expect as well um tankage at hardesty to come with us? Um I would say, you know, the second customer, the kind of second leading customer, um, they would need probably it depends, you know. They've talked about a pretty big appetite for the DRU, which could mean two, one to two more tanks for them at harvesting. Perfect. Um, and just a last question here, just on the impairment, what was the non-performing asset that you suspended operations at? Yeah, that was a treating, a crude oil treating facility at our Hardesty asset. Sean, do you want to add some more on that color around that? Yep, no, that's that's exactly it. It was basically yeah, crude oil treating uh terminal at our hardesty or sorry, asset at our hardesty terminal that basically wasn't cash flowing. So we we shut it down and took the impairment, non cash impairment as as we have to. Got it. And was that something that was previously contracted and rolled off, or was that something that you kind of built for marketing purposes and just it wasn't panning out? No, it was never a marketing asset, Robert. Um it was it was Part of our old um, uh, environmental environmental business that did you know crude oil treating, um, and really the need for that treating in the area it just evaporated, and okay. uh, we hadn't seen any real business going across that terminal in the last probably two years. Got it. That's great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Chris Collette from Barclays. Chris, please go ahead. 
Yeah, hey guys, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I guess just quickly for me, can you give us an update on um, the spending and the budget for you know the, the DRU that's going into service now? Um, CapEx was just a little bit light in the quarter, so kind of you know wondering if that's coming in under budget. I don't, Sean, why don't you take that? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd say, yeah, CapEx was, uh, probably a, a bit light, but I mean, we'll still have some CapEx uh, as we continue the startup phase here. So, you know, as Steve said in his prepared remarks, I would say, you know, the, the DRU came in within our sort of capital budget. We were satisfied. We we're happy with where it came in. As you remember, for our share, that was uh, the 125 to 175. So through last year and this year, uh, it, it did come in. And then where we get to uh, as you would have heard, we reaffirmed the 200 for the year. But again, we announced the new tank today. We announced the um, biofuels funding project. So that's sort of what gets us there as you think through the full year. Got it. Thanks for that. And then as we think through, um, you know, potential future capacity uh, on DRU, is that sort of range for the first phase a, a good benchmark for you know, uh, additional phases depending on capacity down the road, or are there other factors that we, you know, need to be thinking about? I mean, the optics of that facility, you know, the on, on the ground are probably going to be very similar uh, to the first. Um, there are definitely synergies in the control room uh, and, and the, you know, the operators uh, where w we wouldn't need as many operators, you know, to on a second on the second facility but uh you know um as far as the dru goes um you know we're excited about 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 turning it over to operations um and operations is in the middle of startup right now uh and it's kind of normal you have these operational issues so uh we just got a few kinks to to um uh, to iron out before we really announce that it's in full service, but we we hope to get that in full service, you know, in a, in in a in a in a short short amount of time. And I think the other part of that question, if if I heard it correctly, is you know cost for a phase two. Is that correct? You know, yeah. would it be similar range to the first one? Yeah. So what we've said previously is that a phase two cost uh, would probably be because of all the common infrastructure that we have built here. A phase two cost would probably somewhere in the range of 60-ish percent of what phase one cost here. And so, again, take advantage of the common infrastructure um, uh, would benefit uh, phase two for sure. Got it. Okay. Uh, that's it for me, guys. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from Robert Cattelier from RBC World Markets. Robert, please go ahead. Yeah, Rob Catelia from uh, CIBC World Markets. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on your comment there, Steve, on the DRU status. Uh, what are the steps to uh, to achieving full uh, commercial operation? Well, you know, we've, we've met our 50,000 barrels a day range, and we've loaded out two or three uh, rail cars, maybe more. Uh, but there's just some fine-tuning uh, that we need to do in the separation to get it to exactly where we want it, Robert. So uh, that's, that's the issues that, uh, you know, the ops is working with right now with 
is just some fine tuning around getting that exact set that we want. Right. So, so that uh, I take it from your disclosures. That's uh, something you expect to achieve in the third quarter. Yes. Okay. And um, you've answered most of the the other questions I had. Just one on the uh, capital allocation. Uh, I wonder if maybe you can get an update of where you stand on the outlook for uh, shared purchases at some point. You know, on the one hand, um, I, I guess marketing's been a little soft, although it's improving. Uh, you have uh, seemingly very good line of sight, uh, at least on getting the $200 million, uh, of capital spending. Uh, and you're still in a pretty good financial position, uh, but you have this, this one-time cash flow from uh, the buyout of the, uh, you know, the rail contract. So I wonder how that influences your, um, your view to uh, share buybacks. John, thanks, Rob. Yep, yep, I can take that. I mean, our thinking really hasn't changed. Uh, we do have that one-time payment, but, um, it, you know, it wasn't all that material in the grand scheme of things. You know, as a reminder for everyone, uh, you know, capital allocation is first uh, to growth capital to the extent that we continue to generate uh, projects like we have, you know, five to seven times, build multiples with investment grade counterparties, long-term contracts, um, you know, beyond that. And of course, you know, we're going to remain fully funded to the extent we have excess cash flow. Uh, you know, we've said if it's pr principally from infrastructure, uh, we would favor dividend increases. If it's from marketing, we would favor buybacks. If you think about the messaging that we've put out, you know, for this year, it was, uh, at the beginning of the year, we put out a capital budget of $200 million and said to the extent that we do not achieve that $200 million, we would buy back shares to get up to that capital allocation. Uh, and that for us to execute a buyback absent that, we need to see, you know, some form of material recovery and marketing back in towards sort of our run rate for the entire year. If you think about where we are right now, we're still, we just basically announced today that we're almost fully sanctioned for the $200 million. Uh, and so reaffirm the 200. So on that metric, certainly nothing would change. And then from a marketing perspective, though we are seeing a recovery in performance, not really to the tune of where we would expect, um, you know, the change our thinking on a buyback. So as we sit here today, really not, not much of a change in thought for 2021. Uh, this is something that we'll definitely reevaluate as part of our 2022 budget where we'll see what the capital outlook really is for next year as well. We'll have a view on sort of marketing performance for the year. You know, one thing I would note on the buyback though, is, you know, though we haven't used it all that materially, we bought back circa $15 million of shares uh, in Q4 of last year. You know, as a reminder to everyone, we did actually opportunistically call our converts for early redemption. Our shares had popped down below the conversion price very, um, you know, for a very short period of time, and we were able to actually call that back for redemption, redeemed almost all of it for cash. When you actually look at when the converts would have converted normally, they were well above the conversion price once again. So, so not, though not a formal buyback last year, we would actually view that as being somewhat fungible with having avoided the dilution through that. But uh, to specifically answer your question is I think this year still we're going to remain rather cautious because not a lot has changed, and that we'll reevaluate for next, for next year. Yeah, it's a good point on the uh, converts. And just uh, just with, with respect to uh, the Edmonton tank announcement uh, here, I, I wonder if um, 
you know, are we at the front end basically of some some contracts getting announced for the industry? Um, the, the one thing that's not clear is the TMX and service date. You know, they they really haven't provided an update that you know it's widely believed to have slipped. So I'm wondering what the the actual timing needs to be for um, for contracting tanks to meet whatever the revised TMX and service date might be. Yeah, hold on, Robert. Um, you know, we don't know the exact service date either, Robert. Uh, but, you know, talking, you know, to our customers, it does appear that it has slipped. Uh, but we do believe that, you know, we probably have another six months of contracting opportunity, you know, before, uh, you know, before we would be late on putting the tank in service, right? So uh, we do believe um, it, it has potentially flipped, uh, but we think um, as far as the negotiations really with our customers do continue to move forward. Um, and right now, a lot of them are targeting kind of that uh, the end of the first quarter type um, startup in 2023. So. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from Ben Pham from BMO Capital Markets. Ben, please go ahead. Hi, thanks. Good morning. I wanted to go back to the growth capex question that the 200 million budget that you have. You've mentioned a couple of the large projects supporting that that number and the associated capex. Uh, but it seems like some of that, that capex is going to be spent outside of this year. Uh, so, so maybe can I ask what what, what percent uh, of of your capex has has been sanctioned of that two hundred million as you you see here today? Um, yeah, say ninety plus percent. Yeah, what it, do you think? It, it, the, the vast majority of it, Ben. I mean, we played around with, you know, in the messaging, do we say we're fully sanctioned for the 200 or majority? But it, it would be, um, yeah, the vast majority of that 200. Okay, got it. And then on the, the infrastructure side of things, you you mentioned you hit the Q3, you got, got some prorated EBITDA from the DRU, and it looks like you've you mentioned it's offset by this, this real contract. Uh, uh, roll-offs. Uh, when do you think you can provide us an update on the new run rate for, for infrastructure? Are you able to, to give us some sort of range uh, today as you look at the, the puts and takes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can take that, Steve. I mean, I think we're we're already pretty much there if you just do um, the, the different math that we've given you already. So DRU, we've said 125 to 175. You know, at the higher end of the five to seven build multiple, and you know, think of it that being sort of midpoint-ish of the capital. Uh, so that gets you to an approximate contribution from the DRU, uh, and given it's a ten-year take-or-pay, you know, you have that number uh, on a quarterly basis. You know, Q3, um, we've said that we the rail loading contract will offset the partial contribution of the DRU. Uh, rail loading contract uh, on a monthly basis. Is in around you know just over a million dollars, so I, you know I think it's 1.1 million dollars. So you know it's plus you know plus the DRU, less the rail loading contract until we add additional assets into service. Um, 
so for Q3, so for Q3, we think, you know, as we've said, you know, that probably in around that 100 is about the right number. And then Q4, clearly it'll be above that because the DRU contract will more than offset uh, the rail loading impact. Okay, got it. Uh, and then maybe on, on marketing, you, you mentioned that uh, uh, there's opportunity to be about 80 million, but you don't, you don't have the visibility yet. Uh, would you say on the other side, you, you have enough visibility to make a comment that you, you won't be below? alone in the range you've, you've uh, suggested that previously? Uh, no, I mean, if you think about the messaging we've given, so thus far, uh, as we sit here in the first half of the year, uh, we're, you know, call it give or take $22 million. Q3 guidance was 15 to $20 million, um, which we had in our prepared remarks. So that gets you to, for the first three quarters, 37 to $42 million. Um, you know, I wouldn't say we're in a position right now to give Q4 guidance. If you use simple math of the 20 to 30 long-term run rate that we have historically had, you know, that gets you to a range of 57 to $72 million. And so, you know, I, I think what we are saying in the messaging we we're trying to get across in the call today is, you know, given that simple math, as we sit here today, uh, we don't have line of sight for you know what could get us into that 80 million dollar range um and, and again so what that would take would be you know call it close to 40 million dollars for the fourth quarter given our current guidance uh but it doesn't mean that there won't be events that get us there which which we have seen in previous periods um certainly as you think through sort of the 18 19 uh 20 period okay understood thanks for clarifying Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny from National Bank Financial. Patrick, please go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on renewable diesel here. Looks like there's at least one good-sized refining project in Saskatchewan that's making some good progress, um, another in BC. Just curious where your team might be at in terms of discussions with government officials um, and whether or not you see you know, once the federal clean fuel regulations come together, um, supporting any potential opportunities at your Moose Jaw site, whether it be blending, terminaling, or even refining and, and marketing of the product and the credits? Yeah, I mean, I would say we're, you know, we're in the early stages of looking at that at Moose Jaw. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, the cost, um, you know, to, to build a facility, what, uh, at Moose Jaw would look like. Uh, we're taking a deep look at the feedstock, you know, and what are the, how do the feedstocks work? Um, and, uh, and definitely talking to downstream customers uh, uh, on the renewable diesel side. Uh, also, you know, we are, we are looking at, you know, what the, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the grant, you know, that could come from uh, the, the, from the from um, the federal government, uh, so it is something that we're looking at, um, but it's still, I would say, very early stages. Uh, and I guess that would be on top of the billion dollars um, backlog that you're that you're looking at on on the base business, and I guess depending on what that grant looks like at this point. Um. 
I don't know, about a billion-dollar backlog. Uh, I'd say, you know, um, it would definitely be in addition to any tanks that, that we have, uh, you know, that we're guiding as far as capital going into the future. It would it would definitely send us over a 150 to 200 um, a year capital spend. Right, makes sense. Okay. Um, and then, sorry if I missed it, but just with the new tank uh, being built at Edmonton, maybe just a refresh on, on what's left in terms of remaining potential capacity at your Edmonton uh, land position there, I guess. Just how many more 400,000 barrel tanks could you potentially add ahead of TMX? Yeah, um, the facility we can add almost 2 million barrels. So another, just a, really the tanks that we're building are, are – 482,000 barrels. They're they're an odd size, but uh, we can add just over 2 million barrels. So another there's an, there's 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 space for another four tanks or close to four tanks. Perfect. Okay. And last one from you guys. Just with Alberta power prices, you know, more than doubling year to date, doesn't look like it's been a major headwind uh, for your infrastructure segment, but. Perhaps you could just remind us of any sensitivities that the business might have to higher power costs going forward, or if you're, you know, pretty well covered by flow-through provisions within your contracts. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're covered with flow-through provisions in our contracts on power, uh, but we're a very small power user. You know, when you look at our ESG and our CDP report, you know, our our scope two emissions is is really quite small, and that's because we don't have big mainline pumps, we don't have compressors, uh, we we're, we're a pretty small power footprint overall. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Steve. I'll leave it there. There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn it back to Mark for closing remarks. Thanks, operator. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us for our 2021 second quarter conference call. Uh, again, I'd like to note that we have also made certain supplementary information available on our website at gibsonenergy.com. As always, if you have any further questions, please do reach out at investor.relations at gibsonenergy.com. Thank you for joining us, and have a great day. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.